Uh, good to see you all this morning. Hopefully you had an opportunity to pick up uh, a handout uh, as we walk through things for week four. Um, we're continuing our class that's based on J.I. Packer's book, Finishing Our Course with Joy. And then the, uh, the subtitle for that is Guidance from God with Engaging Our Aging. I like the Engaging Our Aging. It's kind of cool. But it's so small there, you can't really see it. But it's a well-thought-out subtitle. Uh, and so we're coming to week four with that. And just by way of review, we've just been walking through the four chapters of this book. And it's, it's just a short book that's maybe just over 100 pages, but they're really small pages. Uh, and so it, it's a real edifying read if it's something that you'd like to pick up and go through at some point. But we've just kind of been going chapter by chapter. We'll finish the last chapter of this book today. Uh, and then when we come back on the other side of Advent and Christmas and, well, the other side of Christmas and New Year's and resume Discipleship Hour, we won't have Discipleship Hour the next two Sundays because it's um, Christmas Eve and then New Year's Eve. Um, but when we resume, we'll be talking about some other topics related to aging. And I know if you've picked up a handout, on the back of it, it has that QR code where you can um, send us a note about questions you may have, things you may like covered. We've already received some great input of resources people have found helpful. Um, and so Ryan and I are looking forward to doing another several weeks on the other side of the new year, addressing some of the even more pragmatic concerns related to this, where Packer's in, uh, materials kind of more big picture how we think about this um, spiritually. So really looking forward to that. Um, chapter one of the book was called We Grow Old. Chapter two was Soul and Body. Chapter three, which we talked about last week, was Keep Going. And then today, our topic is We Look Forward. And this is how um, Packer concludes the book. And so why don't I pray, and then we'll, we'll dive into this uh, material that I, I trust you'll find really encouraging. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity to spend time thinking about your word. We are so comforted by the fact that you as our creator, and then you especially as our heavenly Father through Christ, know our struggles, our weaknesses, the seasons of life, and what it looks like for us to walk faithfully uh, in every phase. And we take great comfort in your knowledge of those things. We take great comfort in your grace. We pray that you'd encourage us this morning with what awaits us, and with what is ours even now through Christ. So it's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, so we'll begin by talking about this fact. I, I don't know if this is a real word, hopers, so I put it in quotes. I don't know if spell check corrected it or not. It doesn't seem like a real word, right? It looks kind of like hoppers. Um, but it's supposed to be hopers. So um, we as people were made to look ahead to good things and long for those good things. I think that's something that we might miss sometimes in the Genesis narrative, especially when we're not approaching it from an understanding of all of Scripture, that even though um, in creation things were very good and they were perfect in that sense, they were not yet complete or had arrived at their fullness. There was a sense of anticipation or um, furtherance that was put there with Adam and Eve from creation onward. You see in the garden um, a negative prohibition not to do something, but what's also implied is the positive of if you continue to be oriented toward the Lord and his ways, if you heed the word of God rather than the word of the serpent, um, eschatic, eschatological life, some sort of furtherance of fuller life would arrive, 
right? And that's symbolized there by the tree of life uh, that's put there in the garden, kind of holding out this promise of a life that would be free from the possibility of sin. Um, and so these are, th- I know we're just kind of diving in on like a theological uh, geek out point, but it's something that I just find to be so helpful. Um, if we understand the garden arrangement as a covenant of works, part of what was held out is this prohibition, but then also the promise of fuller life. And so from that sense, we see that from creation, even in good creation, there's this anticipation and a longing for goodness. And it's an anticipation and longing for goodness and blessedness. Eve had continued in obedience. We know that fuller life was held out for them and is to realize that hope and forward-lookingness is not some accidental thing. It's something when we think about hope um, as people and in society, a lot of it is something that we have like hope for, expectation that things could be better. But Packer says this, but long actually a huge loss, that this isn't part of our everyday existence. Um, Packer goes on to say part of what Jesus came to do is restore that hope of that future that we were created to have. Extension of fellowship with the glorified Christ and glorified Christians and an eternal enjoyment of God's glory and beauty in ways that we cannot at present begin to conceive. I love how he captures the aspects of new creation glory. And this all just fits so well with what we've been talking about in Advent, doesn't it? Of what we're looking forward to and longing for. We were made for this hope and this forward-lookingness. Part of our salvation, Paul talks about in Romans 8, has been this restored heavens and earth with a glory that far exceeds even the suffering we've encountered. And he summarizes it in saying, Romans 8, 24, for in this hope, we were saved. This is the thing that we look forward to with certainty that God has brought for us. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. We, we can't fully see or even imagine the wonder of what is to come for who hopes for what he sees. Uh, it makes sense, right, that it would be something far beyond us that's held out to us, but we were made to long for it. Um, another passage that we could look at, 1 Peter 3, talking about this inheritance that God has um, chosen us for and brought us into. And it's described as a living inheritance, life to the fullest. And I'd, I'd love to unpack it, but we've done that in sermons elsewhere. So we'll, we'll keep moving. But God has caused us to be born again to a living hope, Peter says. And so this is part of what we are made for. And Packer goes on to say, uh, he says, I think it goes without saying that part of the world-changing impact that Christians made right away in the first century and beyond um, reflected directly the joy and excitement with which they grasped this hope of glory. It says, why did the church do so much? And we can talk about the level of that doing, but it's pretty amazing what took place in the early centuries. And he's saying it's because they were animated by this hope. And he goes on to say, the Roman Empire was a world that, like our world today, lacked any energizing hope of its own. I think that's such a great way to explain it, which explains why so many listened hungrily to the Christian message. And I go on to urge that recovering and reappropriating this hope is the prime task for us who are aging today. So we are created to be human hopers, and Packer wants us to re-engage in that. And so, how do we do that? Well, part of it comes from 
understanding what lies ahead and what we're hoping for. What lies ahead and what we're hoping for. Um, I grew up in a dispensational setting where we talked a lot about end times in terms of charts and which events would correspond to things in the newspaper. And um, while I think that's that's flawed in its approach, one of the, the downsides of it, other than just hermeneutically what it does, is it really truncates what hope we're actually looking forward to and it fixates on kind of the events of the here and now. And I found that I was far less aware of what the Bible says is true for all of us when Christ returns and how rich and robust that is. Um, And so part of this is just reacquainting ourselves with the wonder of what lies ahead. And um, to do that, we'll just look at one passage. It's 2 Corinthians chapters 4 and 5. I have the chapter 5 part printed there in your handout if you'd like to follow along in that, or you can turn in your Bibles to do that. But as we reacquaint ourselves even just with this one passage, there are many eschatological passages, many passages that talk about this glory that we're waiting for. But this one does it in such a helpful way, and Packer unpacks this in his book. What we notice first as we're reading through 2 Corinthians is Paul has a very robust understanding of our present situation this side of glory. Um, When Paul speaks of this situation, he speaks very realistically that it's a mix of both bodily suffering and affliction, also filled with future hope and even a joy in the present. And it's something we talk about a lot Sunday after Sunday, right? How joy also comes with the sorrow and these things are mixed together in this age. Well, Paul presents it beautifully when he speaks of his present situation as an apostle. And I know there's some uniqueness to what he's describing, but part of what he's doing is actually very realistically describing the human condition, this side of glory, especially as someone seeks to follow the Lord. When he speaks about it, it's a situation of intense suffering, isn't it? If you're familiar with 2 Corinthians 4 at all, part of the, the verses that may stand out in your mind is, um, are that we have this treasure that's in what? Jars of clay. These pots that break and are discarded, um, which are so contrasted to even valuable vessels of, of the day. And so there's this, this weakness and fragility to our present situation as those who are jars of clay in that sense. In um, chapter 4, verses 8 to 12, he talks about this divinely appointed life of affliction, right? Um, we're hard-pressed on every side. We're persecuted but not destroyed. Like he's, he's talking through the difficulties of afflictions of this life. And then in verse 16 of chapter 4, he says that our outer self is wasting away, right? And so Paul really resonates as he talks about his experience as a, an apostle. He resonates with this bodily trouble that we experience in this age, And in particular, this bodily trouble that we experience as we're aging. Um, Speaking of people getting older, um, Packer reminds us of the fact that this process now is often longer than it used to be. He uh, says of of, um, people growing older that their bodies give them increasing trouble of aches and pains and restrictions as they live through the elongated aging process that modern medical services bestow upon them. And so, as with everything in this world, um, gifts that come to us have both positives and negatives, right? 
And there is great blessing to the elongation of life that medical technology overall and just standards of living have afforded us. But there's also a difficulty to that, right? The downsides of the elongated aging process um, change what life looks like. And he says this, this elongation commonly brings increased body consciousness, by which I mean sustained awareness that our bodies are not all they were and now, in effect, beg us to go easy in the demands that we make on them. So as we go through this elongated aging process, we have this increased body consciousness. And he says of Paul, as he's described, describing life here in 2 Corinthians 4, he says he's probably basically middle age as far as we would think about it. But the sufferings and afflictions that he had endured and received as an apostle, he says Paul had aged fast and he felt it. <laughs> right? His body um, felt all of those things. And yet, the beauty of what Paul holds out is that this um, increased body consciousness of, of his battered body didn't necessarily lead the Apostle Paul to despair, did it? Um, along with that suffering, he says three times in chapter 4 that they do not lose heart and they're of good courage. Those phrases are there in various verses. And so how is it that we can have this increased body consciousness of how our bodies aren't all that they are to be or were, were once, and yet not be driven to despair? Well, it's also by what we know of the hope that we have, in particular relationship to our bodies. Uh, this is what brings in the joy in the midst of the awareness of the sorrows and difficulties that are there. Um, when he says that they do not lose heart and that they're of good courage, um, those words describe a cheerful, eager confidence in the face of trouble, not losing heart. There's this eager confidence that accompanies the trouble. And it's grounded in four things that Paul unpacks in chapter 5 that we know about our future as believers. The first thing, we know that a new body awaits each servant of Christ. A new body awaits each of us if we're in Christ. Isn't that, that's an amazing thing. Um, my kids are very curious what they're, what's awaiting them on Christmas Day. It's pretty wild to look out here and then think of the worship service, think of all the believers that we know and say, you know what awaits you? A glorified body. Like, try wrapping that. I mean, that's just great, right? And so notice what it says. Verse 1 of, this is 2 Corinthians 5. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Paul uh, pictures this as a house in heaven that awaits us, that God has already built for us to live in. And it's, it's as though, as he's talking about it, there's, our name is on each one of these homes that's awaiting our arrival in it. It's metaphorical, of course, do we? But he's speaking of our glorified body as that home, that dwelling that awaits us when we're with the Lord. Um, and he contrasts that with the present body that we inhabit. And how does he describe it? He describes it as a tent. Um, 
I think that gives a lot of metaphorical traction to the things that we feel, doesn't it? How many of you enjoy tent camping? Yeah, see, if I said camping, more hands would go up. A few hands went up with tent camping. Camping, we're like, sure, pull a trailer, this is awesome. Uh, Tent camping is a little bit different. Um, Think about what a tent entails. And what I love about this is, what was Paul's day job? He made these things. He was a tent maker, right? So when he describes our body as a tent, it's just it's not like, oh, my dad took me camping one time. He's sitting there like day in, day out, making these temporary dwellings. And so the richness of these metaphors, I think, was not lost on him. And so when you think about a tent, it by nature is a temporary residence. A tent has earthly flooring, doesn't it? You're laying on the ground in a tent, very connected uh, to this present world. Tents may leak and they lack amenities, don't they? And tents just left out in the elements will eventually wear out. They don't last a really long time with the day in, day out difficulties of life in the same way that a house does. And even houses need a lot of work, don't they? And so Paul, as a tent maker, knows that living in a new house will be far and better the better option. (laughs) And so this tent life is temporary. And so we know that a new body awaits all of us who are in Christ. And then secondly, we know that it will be both similar and it will be far better. In uh, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul uses the comparison of a seed and a tree, right? And I think that's so helpful for us as we think about it, this understanding of continuity that a seed is the same substance of the tree that it becomes, and also radical discontinuity, right? You look at a seed and then you look at a full-grown tree and it's like, are these the same species? Uh, Those of you who have a more scientific background could correct the words I'm using. But there's relationship, right, between seed and tree. Um, The glorified bodies that we will have will still be us. It's still me. It's still my body, and yet it's glorified. And that's an amazing thing. He uh, goes on in chapter 5 to say, For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, longing to not be tent camping anymore, right? But in, in the richness of a home that's perfectly suited for us. Uh, verse 3, If indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked, for while we are still in this tent, we groan. Notice that's the second time he says that. If, if you groan in this body, you are in good company, right? It is part of this existence. Being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Um, Paul is speaking of this transformational experience that will take place when the Lord Jesus returns and and glorified bodies are our gift. And he's speaking of this experience. um, uh, I love how Packer says it. He says this metaphor is a little bit fuzzy at the edges, um, but it's really clear in the middle. And so what he's talking about here is this, the result of this transformation that happens, and he calls it being further clothed. And Packer describes it as, as when on a cold day, which we don't know much of, but maybe a cold morning we could think of, one adds an overcoat 
to the one, what one is already wearing before venturing out of doors. That's an amazing image that Paul's talking about here, um, is this process of glorification will be one of further clothing, of putting on an overcoat so that you're ready for the elements that you will face. And he describes this in two ways. One, we will be fully comfortable in our new environment. This fully clothed means that we are fully comfortable. In the new body, he says, we shall be fully comfortable in our new environment, which is described here as heaven in verse 1, just as a person wearing an overcoat is fully comfortable when out in the cold. And that's part of what Paul's doing in 1 Corinthians, is having a body that's, fil- that's fit for the glory of existence with God in heaven. These bodies aren't ready for that wonder yet. And our bodies will not only be fully comfortable in our new environment, we will be fully capable in our new bodies. Fully comfortable, fully capable. He says, in the new body, there will be no sense ever of reaching exceeding grasp or desire outstripping capacity or weakness sabotaging strength. Whatever we find ourselves wanting to do, we shall discover that we can fully do. Can you imagine that? Especially as, increase, as, as we age, our awareness of our limitations grows, right? And what's so hard about it is it's not just, I wish I could do that. It's, I used to be able to do that, and now I can't. Part of the reason we feel that groaning is because we were designed to be able to do everything that we desired to do that would be pleasing to God. Um, It's an amazing thing. And in this, it's all pointing to what he summarizes here so well. What is mortal may be swallowed up by the fullness of life. That's what's taking place. That's what that clothing is. And so, The beauty of what Paul's holding out here is he's saying, believers, we should look forward to this. It's okay to groan and to long for this because this is what God is seeking to give you and will one day give you. And that brings us to the third thing that we know. We know that we will be at home with Jesus, our Lord. We will be at home with Jesus, our Lord. Notice what he says, continuing on in verse 5. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. Notice that absence. Home here, away from him in some way. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. We actually are made to long for that homecoming. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. And so Paul helps us understand there are two locations for believers. At home in the body and away from the Lord. Although, notice that amazing thing, yet indwelt by the Spirit as a guarantee and, in a sense, the Lord Jesus can say he is with us, in us even now by his Spirit. But it is still 
in an embodied state away from the Lord Jesus. And that's or there's this situation of being away from the body and especially away from this fallen existence body and at home with the Lord. And part of what Paul's speaking of here too is what we call the intermediate state, where in a temporary way we are in disembodied existence in the presence of the Lord Jesus um, upon death until we receive resurrection glorified bodies. And so there is this state in which we're away from all embodied existence and at home with the Lord. But then the final state we find ourselves in is really amazing in the sense that we are at home with the Lord in our glorified bodies, (laughs) truly home in the house that we were made for. Um, Packer says, we shall see and be at home with Jesus our Lord in a way that while we inhabit our present bodies is not possible. They're not fit for that type of existence. But notice, even though that's something that we long for, um, there's a continuity of purpose between these two situations. And that's so beautiful in verse 9 because it, it orients us to the purpose and continuity that we have while we are still in this situation. Notice he says, whether we're at home or away, whether it's this existence or that fuller existence that we long for, we make it our aim to please him. Isn't that fascinating to think that we can grow in the Christian life in such a way that our orientation is toward pleasing the Lord Jesus in whatever our hands find us to do, whether that's at work or at home or a ton of tasks or a few tasks. These can be done in a way that our Lord Jesus just smiles upon and delights in because he has secured all the ability to do that through his life, death, and resurrection. But isn't it fascinating that that same orientation of I want to please Jesus my Lord with my life will be the eternal disposition we have. It will be our endless aim to bring him pleasure for all eternity. And we're able to be cultivating and doing that now, even in this tently existence. So I I love when we get glimpses of the continuity Um, but then that orient us to the purpose of of why we are still here and what we can be doing. He says, even then, in that glorified state, there will be a grateful, wholehearted, adoring, and spontaneous life of pleasing Jesus. Boy, I long for any of those words to be true any moment of my day right now. (laughs) We try it imperfectly, right? But grateful, wholehearted, adoring, spontaneous life of pleasing him. Uh, and, and that has begun in us even now by the Spirit. And so part of our groaning and longing is that that would be our daily experience, our eternal experience. And that really leads us to the next thing that we know. Now this one, um, I think we have to think well about, but I think it's very important to keep tethered to our understanding of the future. It says, we know that we will all one day face the judgment seat of Christ. And notice what Paul says here in verses 10 and 11. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience." 
So as, as we think about this, and, and we could go into a, a much fuller explanation of like heavenly reward and, and how all these things work out, but I think it's just important to keep this in mind just in summary form. One is appearing before the judgment seat of Christ for a believer is not because in any way your eternal destiny is being decided. Um, that is already decided through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. But there is, Scripture speaks of, a receiving what is due for our embodied existence. Um, there, and this is something, notice, that it motivates Paul positively. It doesn't drive Paul to fear. And I think that's an amazing thing. We as believers often struggle with that. We, uh, we hear appearing before the judgment seat of Christ, and it, it brings to us this notion of scariness. For Paul, it's a... It's a motivating thing, but not out of fear, out of what delight can await. And it keeps him going. Um, Packer says this, Paul's thought apparently is that the quality of our, listen to what's awaiting us, unending enjoyment of Christ's love and goodness. That's what we're all going to experience as believers. But he says there's also that it corresponds in some way. It in some way corresponds to the quality of love and devotion to him that marks our lives now. And so I think what's, what's helpful to think about in this is blessedness and joy is what awaits us. And as we pursue and cultivate that love for Christ, that desire to please him, that walking with him this side of glory, it brings corresponding delight in the future in some way. And that's not something that just makes us sit and do nothing. It's something that encourages us with the wonder of what this could be. Um, His reference to knowing the fear of the Lord in verse 11 Packer describes it this way. It hints at the sad possibility that his slackness and irresponsibility in Christ's service now might unfit one for further fullness of heaven's joy. And so here's the summary that I think is so important. So he takes care not to grow slack in his ministry of evangelistic persuasion. This is a motivating factor for Paul to not grow slack because more can await in that sense. Um, So we could talk much more fully about it, but I I think that's something that we bear in mind. So Paul's knowledge of his hope in Christ and all that awaited him had a great invigorating, driving, and refreshing force upon his life in all the bumpy fallenness of body consciousness of how our bodies are not what we long for them to be. And so I I think um, it's a beautiful thing. So before we go on to the the final section for today of of these last four things of what now, I'd just like to open it up for any any comments in particular. It can be questions. I don't know if I'll be able to go into all of it. But um, anything related to how this hope of what awaits us can help us in the fallenness of this life? Have you seen it in your own life? Um, Do you live in awareness of a body that awaits? Is that seen as something that a mature Christian does? I'm just curious to hear how it's all hitting you. Thanks, Michael. Any feedback? Michael, we'll bring you the microphone so we can hear you and so folks at home could hear you as well. 
Kevin. It, it seems a strange contrast, but the idea of being less hurried as you go older uh, also has with it the desire to focus on the things that you might not have been um, able to do in the past because you were busy with so many other things. Yeah. So um, it's not really a growing slack. It's more of a appreciating more what is central and uh, and trying to focus on that. Yeah. No, you're exactly right. Um, we'll talk about that a little bit in intensity, but um, there's a way you can come to be able to do less as you age. And one way of doing that is growing in, in slack and laziness. And one way of doing that is actually very purposeful um, and full. Um, and yet it's still the same smaller amount of things. It's interesting. That's what I find so encouraging about all of this is it's, it's what our hearts are doing that's far more important than what our bodies are able to do, which we'll talk about in a minute. Rob, did you have something? This is Daylin's dad, Rob, by the way, for those of you who haven't met him. So. Hi. Hi. <laughs> yeah, could you expand a little bit on how what we do today is going to affect what we will do in heaven? Mm. How uh, our, our good works, those works that won't be burned, will affect what we will be doing in heaven? Yeah. Um, no, I can't. <laughs> I think Scripture speaks pretty sparsely to it. Um, I, I, there's, there's more that could be said, but I think the takeaway in all of it is there's this fruitfulness of what is cultivated here that leads to, in some way, fuller enjoyment while also still not creating... Um, a lessness or a lacking that's unfit for heaven's glory. And so how we square that all in our minds is pretty interesting. Um, more could be said. I probably need to study more. of. I know some of you have researched that even more and talked more about it. But um, that's, that's all I can do today. But uh, you raise a great question. Um, good. And, uh, Elise. So maybe one way to think about it is to know that as I focus on my relationship with Christ and grow in that, that I think I think N.T. Wright talks about our capacity. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, so our capacity of enjoyment in the afterlife is growing mm -hmm, mm -hmm. here now. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, okay. I, I just, th I think that's great. And, and then where we go is thinking of the analogous situation that we find here. Um, we can be brought into a wonderful relationship with another person, maybe a, a great friendship, maybe it's with a spouse, maybe it's whatever. Um, that relationship in and of itself is a blessing with what exists. But as we lean into it and as we come to know each other better, our capacity for love seems to increase, right? And so in an analogous way, something like that is taking place and that motivates us 
toward cultivating it now. Um, so I think it's a beautiful thing. Um, I don't think it's like you get better seats or something like that. Like there's different analogies. I'm like, I don't think those are the ones or like you get a promotion or, you know, I, I think that relational capacity of enjoyment really seems to tread well with the metaphors we get of reward things. But I know more could be said. Um, well, let's talk then about the what now as we hold these things out. There, there are a few themes that have come up as we've been studying this that, that Packer circles back around to um, that I think these four things, if we keep them in mind, they really help us steward our later years well. And what I love about these four things is they apply in every phase of life. And as I was thinking about teaching them, it's so exciting to me because I know we have teenagers here. I know we have people of like all ages here and all of us can lean into these things. Um, and, and that's exciting to me. Um, the one is opportunity. It can be easy to focus on the negatives of aging, right? That increased body consciousness that Packer talks about tends toward negativity naturally, right? Because there is increasing loss. Um, and, and that's just the reality of it. But it's also helpful to remember that this is an opportunity. First of all, having the elongated aging process, if that's something that you um, that your life entails, uh, we don't we don't all receive that. But it's an opportunity that earlier generations never even dreamed of. Um, yeah, there are downsides to it, but Packer said that even in his his youth, and so Packer was born in 1926. He died in 2020. Um, When he was a young person, it was the assumption that very few people would be active in any way after turning 70. Um, That was just pretty unthinkable, right? But now it's much more common for people to have much more high, a much more high-functioning life into their 80s and even 90s. And Packer himself was 94 when he died, Um, and he's writing this book in his 80s. Um, and so it, it's just an amazing thing. And so he says, let's just stop back and step back for a moment and realize the opportunity of having more years on, on this earth. There are blessings at that. And so choosing to view life as what are my present opportunities instead of focusing on the negative of the lack of opportunities is just something that we can cultivate that really applies at every age. I don't know if I'm just a melancholy negative person or a realist or whatever, but I often think about the limitations of the season of life that I'm in and long for some other season, right? And I've, I've lived long enough to realize this seems to be a pattern, <laughs> right? Like you're a kid and you're like, oh, I can't wait till I have my license or could get married or whatever that might be. And then now it's starting where, yeah, I look forward to some stuff, but most of it's, oh, remember when we could sleep through the night or remember, actually we're in a season where we mostly can do that. But um, all these kinds of things, we can always be looking either back or forward to how great would it be to be in this phase. And you know what's not in that thinking? what are the opportunities that this phase of life brings me, in, in particular, that other phases may not bring? And um, that's something that Darcy and I have really been trying to remind each other of, especially in parenting, with how quickly that goes. We've seen enough time behind us of like wishing that away, of, oh, I can't wait till there's no more diapers or whatever, and you never get that back. And so can you just sit in 
the blessings of what this phase of life has, that works across the ages, and it does work even into um, growing older as well. So think of these various stages and just brainstorm. You know, as as a young parent, you're getting little sleep and um, can hardly get anything done. It feels like, but what what is the amazing opportunity in that? You have a front row seat to the helplessness of a baby that is so um, helpful for us in understanding our true dependency on God himself. And you see it up front in a way that few seasons of life really show that to you. Um, You think of being single and maybe you're longing for a spouse um, but failing to notice the flexibility with your schedule that you have or the dependence that you have and the contribution you can bring to other relationships in family or in church. And um, we can often overlook those things. Um, you know, as we get older, you could long for the days when you could just eat whatever you wanted and it tasted great or um, remember everything so quickly and not see how much this is a time where slowing down can help you focus on what actually really matters and that you can savor the gifts of life in a way that it was very hard to savor in the frantic busyness of other phases or the wisdom that you have as you engage in all these various things that you didn't have before and that only aging can bring. Um, And so we could go on and on, but that's just the idea of brainstorming. What are the opportunities that this phase of life brings me um, to glorify God and to lean into that relationship? So opportunity is a key thing to keep in mind. Whoops, backwards. Um, um, Secondly is maturity. Do you remember back in week one, we were talking about some biblical images of aging? And one was that image of ripeness, of fruit ripening, and um, I know Ryan has mentioned it as well from what we see in the Psalms. Listen to what Packer says about ripeness. Ripeness develops as does fruit by a process of assimilating nutrients and reacting to the climate a process that takes its own time and cannot be hurried. Ripening of fruit, the growing of plants, you can't make it happen instantaneously. And it's a collaboration of a few things. The nutrients that that plant is receiving combined with the climate that that plant finds itself in. And there's lots of variety in how that all works out. And so what Packer says is, this is as true of Christ-like spiritual maturity as it is of any other form of human growing. The nutrients, he says, in this metaphor are the truths of the Bible and in particular the gospel. That is the nutrient, those are the nutrients that cause us to grow. But then what's the climate? The climactic factors are the aspects of relationship in the church, in our families, in the world um, that we exist in. And how are those two things working together to produce ripeness is what he asks. He says, Christian seniors ought to be further along in the path of ripeness than others, but variations of nutrients and climate will affect spiritual growth in significant ways. That uh, organic imagery is fascinating, isn't it? Because it isn't that just you plant something in the ground and you let enough time go by and you will have ripe, delicious fruit. It's what, what have you been cultivating 
for that plant. And um, he says, spiritual maturity is a deep, well-tested relationship to our triune God through our Lord Jesus Christ and a quality of relationship with both believers and unbelievers. So it's this relationship with the Lord that brings maturity and also the quality of our relationships with believers and unbelievers. And here's how he describes relating to them. Embracing concern, sympathy, warmth, care, wisdom, insight, discernment, and understanding. As we seek to interact in that climate with other people, it produces a ripeness in us. Packer just says amazing things, so I'm just going to keep reading. Is that okay? He says, this ripeness is a quality that's identifiable only in relationships. You don't see ripe fruit of a person, he says, when it's just sitting there in the same way that you do as it relates. And so it pushes us into what we were made for, which is interaction, um, even if that interaction may diminish over time. Um, And he says that this should mark out Christian seniors, equipping them for ongoing usefulness and care-centered, outreach-oriented congregations. And so um, as we think about maturity, I think it's just helpful to think of these two things. What are the nutrients in my life? And what is the climate of my life? And this applies in every stage, right? And so the nutrients are how am I being fed from God's word? And in particular, I think it's really helpful for us to think, in particular, the beautiful news of the gospel, of who God has made us to be and all that he's done to bring us to that point. Um, Those are the nutrients that as our roots grow down deep, Um, bring about a maturing and a ripeness. But then also, what is the climate that I find myself in? What is the climate that I pursue? And this is where you see all the wisdom of Scripture, right? I mean, part of what it tells us is, even though interaction with others may grow harder during old age, there has to be an intentionality to lean toward having that climate in what ways that we can. Um, And that's very different in contra a lot of the impulses of our society, which can lead toward isolation in old age. And so as we think about both our own aging and the aging of those we know, how are we affecting their their climate of interpersonal interaction? But then it brings other layers to it as well, right? If our climate of interpersonal interaction is only negativity and only unbelievers, um, that's going to be difficult. We need the warmth of the sunshine of Christian relationships of both discipling us and us having outflow of caring for others. That's part of that good environment. Um, Having unbelievers in our lives that we seek to wisely and lovingly engage, but also having believers. And and then Packer, um, uh, it's in a later section, but, but really it's saying, do we have church relationships and other relationships in our lives? Do we lean into those and understand that that climate is necessary for ripening to occur? Um, So I think that's a a helpful thing to think about. Third, humility. Um, You know, we often talk about praying for patience. (laughs) Uh, Humility, he says, is not a virtue that's instantly formed. Humility is a lifelong pursuit. And here's how he describes it. Humility is the product of ongoing repentance as one decides against, turns from, and um, 
decides against and turns from pride in all of its forms. So he's defining humility really here as the act of repenting from pride. Um, there's other ways that we could fill out what humility is, but, but that's the way that it's cultivated in our lives. He says, as the battle against pride in the heart is lifelong, so humility should become an ever more deeply seated attitude of living at the disposal of God and others, an attitude that veteran Christians should increasingly display. When we think of what does an aged saint look like before the Lord, at the top of the list of what he's seeking to do would be cultivating humility. Um, because that's really at the top of the list of what he's seeking to cultivate in all of us as a believer. And Packer says this, that I had to put up there as a quote. Real spiritual growth is always growth downward, so to speak. Can you just stop there for a second? Don't we think the opposite? It's standing tall. (laughs) It's powering through life because you have faith and things don't affect you. Real spiritual growth is always growth downward, so to speak, into profounder humility in which healthy souls will become more and more apparent as they age. I just think that's a beautiful picture, and I wanted that tree back up there. You could have it in different ways, but as you think of an older person or as we grow in our faith, deep roots of humility would be what's so glorifying to the Lord. And you you might, from like a worldly standpoint or from a, a this-age standpoint, see less sticking up above the ground. Um, but what's there shows the deep roots of humility. How do we pursue the downward growth of humility? That's an interesting thing to think about, isn't it? Um, I think there are little ways we can sow this that will reap great reward over time. Some is just keeping before us our Lord Jesus' attitude that Philippians 2 talks about, that is, that he's giving all of us, um, doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, in humility, counting others more significant than yourselves, not looking only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. So that mindset. But there are also just practical ways to cultivate this. One is recognizing and admitting when you're wrong. I think that's a lost skill in our day. Um, how many tweets, how many posts are acknowledging I was, I was genuinely wrong about this? I viewed that too simplistically. I bad-mouthed those people. I naively thought this. I am not God in my knowledge. As we cultivate that in life, it's going to lead to a very different type of person that you speak with at the end of the years because they realize I've been wrong about things my whole life, but God's wisdom never fails, and his truth is what I need and keep coming back to. And so just recognizing and admitting when we're wrong now will reap huge dividends. Hearing and appreciating the viewpoints of other people and seeing their dignity, what does it do? It brings us onto the level playing field of fellow image bearers. That is where a life of humility really begins. And so um, it's something that's countercultural. It is extremely countercultural to grow in humility. But it is something that when you see a seasoned saint who's humble, you say, heaven has broken in. Um, I, that is otherworldly. 
that we would, as we age, do that. Uh, rather than just becoming more set in our ways, more opinionated, more convinced we could fix the whole world, things like that. So humility. And then finally, intensity. This could sound kind of countercultural, right? Or uh, not countercultural, counterintuitive, right? Um, that 90-year-old I met was the most intense person I've ever seen. Like, have you ever talked with them? It was so intense. Um, and so it's just, it's a beautiful thing to think about what intensity looks like. Um, as we progress through the seasons of life. But think of intensity as this. It's a focused pursuit of something. And what can be so beautiful about the maturing and aging process is that priorities can become clearer. The focus can come um, more clear as well. He says this, as seniors' power of body, memory, and creativity grow less, so their conscious focus on their hope of glory should grow sharper and their meditations on it grow more joyful and sustained. Have you encountered that before where you speak with someone in their latter years and, and you just you get an understanding that they see the glory that awaits us in a way that you're like, that's still pretty fuzzy to me or I don't think much about that because my life's so busy you know, when you talk about what are, what are opportunities that people in their older years have, and I, I think of, you know, how many fewer conversations they may have compared to, like, you have young kids in the home and you're talking to them nonstop and you're like, could I ever get a moment of silence, right? And then uh, later in life, it's could I have more people to talk to? But you think of a conversation that you have with someone uh, who's older and mature in the faith, and the glimpse of heaven and glory that you get, even in those few moments, even though it's interrupted, even though they lose track of what they were saying, it has a quantity and a quality to it that talking to some 20-year-old, 40-year-old, 60-year-old just doesn't have. And that's the beauty of what God can do in us. And I just, I just find it to be amazing. And what is that if we were to say, what's going on there? It's, it's sustained thought and focus in whatever capacity they have to still do that on who their God is and what awaits them when they're with him. And it shapes everything else and it just comes out in amazing ways. Um, and so I just want to end with, with one thought about um, intensity. And it's just this. How do we cultivate this intensity that would grow in that way? It, it really starts by cultivating kingdom priorities now. And the problem is kingdom priorities and the kingdom economics of this life work the opposite of what we think, right? We think what would be pleasing to God? What are the good things? And they're big and they're fast and there's a lot of them, right? That's how we tend to think about the things of God. And instead, kingdom economics are so often, it's the small the infrequent, the sown to over a long period of time, the things that look so weak to the world that he uses to just do supernatural things among us. And what's interesting is the reality is in what we find ourselves doing, it's are we doing it in a way that would please the Lord, which is a heart thing, right? More than a how many things are we doing thing. And so if you are at a stage in life where you are doing 50 billion things and can't wait for an hour when you do just one thing, the, the call of that is 
do those 50 billion things aware that you can bring glory to God even in the fragmentation of all that's going on. Or if you find yourself in a situation where you do one or two things a day, you can just as much do those in obedience to God and delight in him as you could have those 50 other things. And in many ways, you find people able to do that better because all the, dis- the distractions can fade away. But it's something we have to cultivate over time, right? Um, and choosing to see that life of honoring the Lord in whatever stage we're in. Archibald Alexander, we'll, we'll talk more about him in subsequent classes, but uh, Gordon alerted me to these letters that he wrote to people in the autumn of life. And uh, they're just beautiful. Thanks for that, Gordon. Um, I can't wait to talk more. But he says this, Obedience is is just as pleasing to the Lord in our old age as it is in our youth. And that's interesting, isn't it? Um, I can honor God just as much today as I could if I had all the energy, all the memory, all the recall, all the appointments that I used to have, you know, and uh, I, I find that greatly encouraging. So, um, why don't I pray? <laughs> Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the hope that awaits us. It's amazing to think of the gift of glorified bodies that our Lord Jesus has won for us, that he is currently enjoying, and that we will one day experience with him and with each other. Um, Help us long for that as we groan in these earthly tents, but help us also to steward this time well uh, and to see that you are with us in this, that you are seeking to produce heavenly fruit in us and maturity and ripeness in whatever phase we find ourselves. And we pray that you would, by your grace, help us to ripen as we go through this life rather than... um, to live in such a way that that fails to show the wonder of all that Jesus has done for us and is doing in us by your spirit. We ask this in his name. Amen.